number seven of london ancient and modern this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two london from the medical point of view part four secret remedies the crusade against quackery medicine in the days of pepys the barber surgeons the first anatomy lectures the apothecaries secret remedies two centuries ago and even later than this it was not thought unprofessional for a physician to have secret remedies thus dr goddard who was much trusted by oliver cromwell who was one of the original members of the royal society professor at gresham college the friend of sydenham and a fellow of the college in sixteen forty six was the inventor of goddard's drops the most notable instance of professional secrets however is that of the midwifery forceps this was the secret of the chamberlain family of whom i will mention two peter chamberlain m d padua f r c p sixteen twenty eight was probably the first fashionable obstetrician and is supposed to have been the inventor of the forceps he made an attempt to organize the monthly nurses was much employed about the english court and had eighteen children by his two wives hugh chamberlain the son of hugh chamberlain and the nephew of peter chamberlain f r c p sixteen ninety four was the most celebrated man midwife of his day he published a translation of morisot's midwifery and in the preface to that book he says i will now take leave to offer an apology for not publishing the secret i mention we have to extract children without hooks where other artists use them viz there being my father and two brothers living that practised this art i cannot esteem it my own to dispose of nor publish it without injury to them and i think i have not been unserviceable to my own country although i do but inform them that the forementioned three persons of our family and myself can serve them in these extremities with greater safety than others this is a very pretty specimen of medical ethics on the part of one who was a censor of the college as late as seventeen twenty one what are probably the original forceps were accidentally discovered in eighteen fifteen at woodham mortimer hall essex formerly the residence of peter chamberlain they were found under a trap-door in the floor of the uppermost of a series of closets built over the entrance porch and may now be seen in the library of the royal medico chirurgical society hugh chamberlain is buried in westminster abbey where a latin epitaph of seventy-two lines by bishop atterbury adorns his tomb i feel tempted to mention two or three more of the early physicians who are deservedly famous but in doing so i must limit myself to those who flourished mainly in the seventeenth century john radcliffe who became f r c p in sixteen eighty seven appears to have been a blustering kindly and successful practitioner he spoke his mind freely even to monarchs and seems to have made his way more by push than courtesy his chief claim to be remembered is as a public benefactor he accumulated a large fortune and founded at oxford the radcliffe library radcliffe infirmary radcliffe observatory and radcliffe travelling fellowship and also left five hundred pounds a year to st bartholomew's hospital london for improving the diets of the patients 
radcliffe was only one of many london doctors who have been great public benefactors i have already alluded to lineker keyes harvey baldwin hamy caldwell and croon and the list may be enlarged by mentioning sir hans sloane who founded the british museum and gave the chelsea garden to the apothecary society william and john hunter erasmus wilson and richard quain the last and the most munificent benefactor of this university college sir hans sloane was born in sixteen sixty became f r c p in sixteen eighty seven was president from seventeen nineteen to seventeen thirty five and died in seventeen fifty three in his ninety-fourth year he was president of the royal society from seventeen twenty seven succeeding sir isaac newton and retired to chelsea in seventeen forty where his name still lives in sloane street and hans place in his youth he accompanied the duke of albemarle to jamaica and returned home with a valuable botanical collection he was a great accumulator of archaeological and natural curiosities and his collection was by his will offered to the nation at a nominal sum and thus was founded the british museum sir hans sloane was born in the last days of the commonwealth only three years after the death of harvey in evelyn's diary we read how on april sixteenth sixteen ninety one he evelyn went to see dr sloane's curiosities being an universal collection of the natural productions of jamaica and so forth he lived in the reign of charles the second james the second anne william the third george the first and george the second and died five years after the birth of jeremy bentham who was so active in the foundation of university college the crusade against quackery perhaps the main object held in view by those who were instrumental in establishing the medical corporations was protection and certain it is that the monopoly of medical licensing enjoyed by the physicians and barber surgeons in london and seven miles round was very great no small amount of the energies of the college of physicians was in its earlier days devoted to the fighting of irregular practitioners but this was and is a hopeless battle we have seen how henry the eighth protected the rights of physicians and surgeons but then as now there was a great deal of public sympathy for irregular practitioners and accordingly we find that in the thirty-fourth and thirty-fifth year of the reign of henry the eighth an act was passed the chief clauses of which were to the following effect that the surgeons mindful only of their own lucres and nothing the profit or ease of the diseased or patient have sued troubled and vexed divers honest persons as well men as women whom god hath endued with the knowledge of the nature kind and operation of certain herbs roots and waters and the using and ministering of them to such as be pained with customable diseases as women's breast being sore a pen and a web in the eye uncomes of hand scaldings burnings sore mouths the stone strangury sosilin and morphew and much other like diseases and so forth and so forth therefore it shall be lawful for any person to cure outward sores notwithstanding the statute of the third of henry the eighth 
the public did not like being deprived of their favourite quacks and wise women and the same feeling undoubtedly obtains at present in this country where hundreds of newspapers are kept afloat almost entirely by quack advertisements and the proprietor of a pill and ointment has recently died possessed of wealth probably greater than that of all the fellows of both the royal colleges collectively these are significant facts and ought to warn us not to waste our energies in attempting to oppose human nature dr goodall in his account of the college of physicians published in sixteen eighty four gives many curious details of the conflicts of the college with quacks and empirics the college possessed magisterial power and on conviction the president and censors had power to fine and imprison for instance in sixteen thirty two francis rose alias ventner was accused of undertaking to cure a woman of a timpany for which he had made exorbitant charges being asked what medicines he gave at first he refused to discover them saying he had them noted in his books but after long expostulation he named jalap and elatorium as he pronounced the word and being questioned what elatorium was made of he said it was composed of three or four things whereof diagridium was one he was censured for giving elatorium a medicine he knew not and particularly to a woman at his own house whom he afterwards sent home through the open streets telling her it was a cordial he was fined ten pounds and committed to prison again we find one richard hammond a surgeon fined five pounds and committed to prison for undertaking to cure a child of the dropsy it appears that he administered a cluster composed of molasses white hellebore and red mercury which wrought so violently that the boy died therewith john hope an apothecary's apprentice gets into trouble for giving a man two apples of coloquintity boiled in white wine with cinnamon and nutmeg the medicine wrought both upwards and downwards upward he vomited a fatty matter and downward he voided a pottle of blood and ultimately died this case was remitted to the higher courts of justice in sixteen thirty seven an order was sent from the star chamber to examine the pretended cures of one leveret who said that he was a seventh son and undertook the cure of several diseases by stroking the investigation of this case lasted over a month and finally the college reported that leveret was an impostor in the fourth year of king edward the sixth one grig a poulterer of surrey taken among the people for a prophet in curing diverse diseases by words and prayers and saying he would take no money and so forth was by command of the earl of warwick and others and the council set on a scaffold in the town of croydon in surrey with a paper on his breast whereon was written his deceitful and hypocritical dealings and after that on the eighth of september set on a pillory in southwark being then our lady fair then kept and the mayor of london with his brethren the aldermen riding through the fair the said grig asked them and all the citizens forgiveness of the like counterfeit physician saith stowe have i noted to be set on horseback his face to the horse-tail the same tail in his hand for a bridle a collar of jordans about his neck 
a whetstone on his breast and so led through the city of london with ringing of basins and banished the above are examples of dozens of similar cases and it is interesting to note that many of these irregular practitioners had powerful friends and we find ministers of state writing on behalf of some of them praying that the punishment may be remitted medicine in the days of pepys in order to complete the picture of the profession in the seventeenth century i have abstracted from the diary of truthful samuel pepys a few facts having a bearing on medicine these seem to me to throw no little light upon the science practice and ethics of medicine at his time march twenty sixth sixteen sixty this day it is two years since it pleased god that i was cut for the stone at mrs turner's in salisbury court and did resolve while i live to keep it a festival as i did the last year at my house and for ever to have mrs turner and her company with me but now it pleased god that i am prevented to do it openly only within my soul i can and do rejoice and bless god being at this time blessed be his holy name in as good health as ever i was in my life october nineteenth sixteen sixty three coming to st james i hear that the queen did sleep five hours of pretty well to-night and that she waked and gargled her mouth and to sleep again but that her pulse beats fast beating twenty to the king's or my lady suffolk's eleven it seems she was so ill as to be shaved and pigeons put to her feet and to have the extreme unction given her by the priests who were so long about it that the doctors were angry the king they say is most fondly disconsolate for her and weeps by her which makes her weep which one this day told me he reckons a good sign for that it carries away some room from the head october twentieth mrs sarah blank tells us that the queen's sickness is the spotted fever and that she is as full of spots as a leopard twenty second this morning hearing that the queen grows worse again i sent to stop the making of my velvet cloak till i see whether she lives or dies twenty fourth the queen is in a good way to recovery and sir francis pridgen Prugine, president of the royal college of physicians hath got great honour by it it being all imputed to his cordial january sixteenth sixteen sixty seven prince rupert i hear is very ill yesterday given over but better to-day twenty eighth prince rupert is very bad still and so bad that he do now yield to be trepanned february third to whitehall talking and among other things of the prince's being trepanned which was in doing just as we passed through the stone gallery we asking at the door of his lodgings and were told so we are full of wishes for the good success though i dare say but few do really concern ourselves for him in our hearts with others into the house and there hear that the work is done to the prince in a few minutes without any pain at all to him he not knowing when it was done it was performed by moulins having cut the outward table as they call it they find the inner all corrupted so as to come out without any force and the fear is that the whole inside of his head is corrupted like that 
which do yet make him afraid of him but no ill accident appeared in all the doing of the thing but with all imaginable success as sir alexander fraser did tell me himself i asked him who is very kind to me april third this day i saw prince rupert abroad in the vane room pretty well as he used to be and looks as well only something appears to be under his periwig on the crown of his head fourth at the duke of arbemile's one at the table told an odd passage in the late plague that at petersfield i think he said one side of the street had every house almost infected through the town and the other not one shut up june twenty eighth sixteen sixty seven home and there find my wife making of tea a drink which mr pelling the potticary tells her is good for her cold and defluxions november twenty first with creed to a tavern where dean wilkins and others and a good discourse among the rest of a man that is a little frantic and that is poor and a debauched man that the college have hired for twenty shillings to have some of the blood of a sheep let into his body and it is to be done on saturday next they purpose to let in about twelve ounces which they compute is what will be let in in a minute's time by a watch on that occasion dr whistler president of the royal college of physicians told a pretty story related by muffet a good author of dr keyes that built keyes college that being very old and living only at that time upon woman's milk he while he fed upon the milk of an angry fretful woman was so himself and then being advised to take it of a good-natured patient woman he did become so beyond the common temper of his age thirtieth i was pleased to see the person who had his blood taken out saying he finds himself much better since and as a new man but he is cracked a little in his head though he speaks very reasonably and very well he had but twenty shillings for his suffering it and is to have the same again tried upon him the first sound man that ever had it tried on him in england and but one that we hear of in france june twenty third sixteen sixty eight to mr turberville about my eyes whom i met with and he did discourse i thought learnedly about them and takes time before he did prescribe me anything to think of it twenty ninth to dr turberville's and there did receive a direction for some physic and also a glass of something to drop into my eyes he gives me hope that i may do well july third to an alehouse met mr pierce the surgeon and dr clark waldron turberville my physician for the eyes and lower to dissect several eyes of sheep and oxen with great pleasure and to my great information but strange that this turberville should be so great a man and yet to this day has seen no eyes dissected or but once but desired this dr lower to give him the opportunity to see him dissect some thirteenth this morning i was let blood and did bleed about fourteen ounces towards curing my eye thirty-first the month ends sadly with me my eyes being now past all use almost and i am mighty hot about trying the late printed experiment of paper tubes august eleventh 
mighty pleased with a trial i have made of the use of a tube spectacle of paper tried with my right eye cesar morelli a music master wrote thus to mr pepys on april eleventh sixteen eighty one honoured sir i did receive your last letter dated the ninth of this month with much grief having an account of your painful fever i pray god it will not vex your body too much and if by chance it should vex you longer there is here a man that can cure it with sympathetical powder if you please to send me down the parings of the nails of both your hands and your foots and three locks of hair of the top of your crown i hope with the grace of god it will cure you and so forth the barber surgeons much as we owe to the college of physicians we owe even more to the early surgeons and there is certainly no spot in this city which has a greater interest for us as students of medicine than the hall of the barber's company in monkwell street a street not far from the general post office the house in nightrider street the original home of the college of physicians is gone the house in amen corner the second home of the college was burnt the grand college in warwick lane was deserted and sold and has now completely disappeared the barber's hall remains and commands our respect as being on the original spot though not the original building where the study of anatomy took its rise in this country the barbers and surgeons have occupied premises in monkwell street certainly since their first incorporation in fourteen sixty possibly earlier the present hall was built by inigo jones and having partially escaped the fire in sixteen sixty six much of the original building remains and certainly the present court-room and the elaborately carved shell canopy over the front door are both works which do credit to this famous architect originally the hall stood detached from other buildings and seems to have had a fair-sized piece of ground round it and a garden at the back and its theatre one of inigo jones best works rested on one of the bastions of the old city wall with land at its present enormous value it is not to be wondered at though much to be regretted that the company has turned every available inch to account and the medical antiquary who now goes in search of this to us almost sacred edifice will need to be warned that it is hemmed in and hidden by warehouses it was in fifteen forty that henry the eighth gave a charter to the barber surgeons and holbein's famous picture of this event is the chief treasure of the barber's hall which contains many other relics of medical interest in this picture which has been often engraved and is doubtless familiar to many of you there are certain points which merit our attention it is a group of nineteen people and it is probable that the portraits of all are faithful the portrait of henry the eighth was said by king james the first to be reported very like him and well done and it is probable that the portraits of the others are equally good the king is seated and the eighteen persons receiving the charter are on their knees these eighteen are arranged in two groups a group of three on the right hand of the king and a group of fifteen on the left those on the right are probably entitled to take precedence of the others they are all members of the king's household 
viz john chambre the king's physician who was as we have seen one of the six persons named in the charter of the college of physicians sir william butts physician to henry the eighth and one of the characters in shakespeare's play of that name and master j alsop the royal apothecary the fifteen on the left are all surgeons or barbers the chief to whom the king is handing the charter is thomas vicary the king's sergeant-surgeon and the first medical officer appointed to st bartholomew's hospital of the others aliff mumford and ferris were king's surgeons and simpson harmon and penn were king's barbers of the remaining eight little is known the first anatomy lectures the original charter of the barber surgeons provided that the two mysteries of barbary and surgery should be kept distinct and it gave facilities for obtaining the bodies of executed felons for purposes of anatomical study there is no doubt that the anatomy lectures at the barber surgeon's hall preceded those given by the physicians the necessity of a knowledge of anatomy must have been felt daily by these early surgeons and like practical men they took steps to supply their wants the giving of these lectures a physician being appointed lecturer was the chief work of the company some of the particulars collected by mr south are of interest as showing how this first london school of anatomy was worked every member of the company was bound to attend the anatomy demonstrations a fine of fourpence being imposed upon those freemen who were late and sixpence upon those who were absent for each summons to an anatomy the sum of three shillings fourpence was charged whether present or absent and the members of the company were bound to come decently apparelled for their own honesty and also for the worship of the company the anatomical demonstrations appear to have been public and their occurrence was a solemn festival in fact in the early days of the company private anatomies were disallowed except by special license from the court there were two masters of anatomy appointed yearly and two stewards of anatomy to look after the creature comforts of those who attended the demonstration it was also the duty of the masters and stewards to fetch the body from the place of execution which was not always an enviable duty the actual lecture and demonstration was given by a fifth officer a reader specially chosen who was generally a physician the masters of anatomy had to make due provision for the comfort of the doctor and they were specially charged to provide a mat about the hearth in the hall in order that he might not suffer from cold feet they also had to provide two fine white rods for demonstrating a wax candle to look into the body necessary instruments and clean white sleeves and aprons for each day for themselves as well as for the reader a fine of forty shillings was imposed for inattention to these necessary details the greatest formality was observed the notices of the forthcoming demonstration were issued according to a regulated formula which differed according to the rank in the company of the person bidden and after assembling in the parlour a procession to the theatre was marshalled by the clerk in due form 
there were two demonstrations daily at noon and at five and between the morning and afternoon lecture the court and officials were plentifully regaled the doctor or reader pulling off his own robes and putting on the clerk's which has always been usual for him to dine in these demonstrations went on for three consecutive days and at their close the clerk attends the doctor in the clothing-room where he presents him folded up in a piece of paper the sum of ten pounds and where afterwards he waits on the masters of anatomy and presents each of them in the like manner with the sum of three pounds after each public demonstration the lecturer was allowed to give a private demonstration to his own pupils for three days after which the body was decently interred and the expenses incurred by the masters of anatomy three pounds seven shillings sixpence were reimbursed seats were provided in the theatre and the body was surrounded by a curtain until the demonstration actually began among the curiosities in barbers hall is a portrait of sir charles scarborough the physician to charles the second in the act of giving an anatomical lecture with a subject before him and alderman arras at his side assisting him scarborough who was a good anatomist and distinguished mathematician is represented as seated dressed in full robes of scarlet and ermine wearing a velvet hat with jewelled band and with lace cuffs and alderman arras is scarcely less gorgeous alderman arras together with dr gale endowed those lectures which are still given at the college of surgeons and which are known as the arras and gale lectures this dr gale is not to be confounded with thomas gale sergeant surgeon to queen elizabeth one of the earliest english writers on surgery it was on february twenty seventh sixteen sixty two that samuel pepys records that about eleven o'clock commissioner pett and i walked to chirurgeon's hall we being all invited thither and promised to dine there where we were led into the theatre and by and by comes the reader dr tern with the master and company in a very handsome manner and all being settled he began his lecture and his discourse being ended we had a fine dinner and good learned company many doctors of physic and we used with extraordinary great respect among other observables we drunk the king's health out of a gilt cup given by king henry the eighth to this company with bells hanging on it which every man is to ring by shaking after he hath drunk up the whole cup dr scarborough took some of his friends and i went with them to see the body of a lusty fellow a seaman that was hanged for robbery the cup to which pepys alludes and other interesting pieces of plate are still in the possession of the company and they also have an excellent picture of inigo jones by van dyke and many other pictures of interest there are also to be seen four silver wreaths worn by the master and wardens on state occasions and upstairs is a massive oak table said to be the original table used for anatomical purposes the apprentices of the company were kept in order for example they were not allowed to wear a beard of more than fifteen days growth and in case of offence in this particular the master was fined six shillings eight pence apprentices were bound to be able to read and write and those that intended practising in london passed what appear to have been preliminary examinations 
how he knoweth what the surgery and also what an anatomy is and how many parts it is of what the three elements and the eleven signs be which is the first part of examination for apprentice the apprentice was then bound to read to the court every half-year an epistle in order that the court might judge of his progress and he first became a probationer and was licensed for so many years at the end of which time subject to good behaviour and adequate knowledge he was admitted a master of surgery and anatomy the fee for the apprentice's examination appears to have been a silver spoon with his name upon it weighing one ounce and sevenpence to the clerk for writing and sealing the examination fee for the great diploma appears to have been six pounds six shillings the apothecaries we have seen that the physicians were an offshoot from the priests and the surgeons an offshoot from the barbers in the same way the apothecaries were originally linked with the grocers and it was not till sixteen seventeen that james i gave to the apothecaries company an independent charter the apothecaries were originally druggists pure and simple but they took to prescribing and this brought them into conflict with the physicians in the end the apothecaries were victorious and finally in eighteen fifteen they acquired the rights of examining and licensing which are practically the same as they now possess end of number seven